So First um, Peter 5, verses 1 to 7. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Um, Folks, please have that passage um, open before you. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5 is pretty much where we'll be staying today in terms of uh, a biblical text. Before I um, come to to speak on that, I want to thank those of you who've been praying for me. Um, You maybe noticed if you read the prayer email that goes out from the church uh, on the Wednesday of each week that uh, I'd ask that you would maybe pray for me. I've been suffering from quite uh, aggressive and, and sometimes debilitating back pain uh, recently, it came to a bit of a head this week when I, uh, one particular night, I got to sleep at half past six in the morning uh, for an hour before the day started. Um, so um, I'm here this morning. I'm able to do things like this, but I'm uh, in between my cocodamol and my uh, ibuprofen, um, just going back and forward between the two of those, and, and I'm still in, in some pain. So please pray for me. I'd love to um, be, be through this uh, at some point soon. If you're a guest with us here this morning, it'll help you to understand that we're just about to elect new elders in our congregation. Uh, so for last Sunday and this Sunday, I've taken a little bit of time to, to teach um, on what we should be looking for in leadership in a congregation. So last week, we looked at a, a passage in Titus chapter 1, and we saw there, about, uh, saw there some biblical qualifications uh, for what an elder in a church should be. And this morning, we're going to look for a few moments at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to talk about what kind of leadership elders ought to give. If you think about it, those questions are intrinsically related. And uh, when we're electing a person, we want to elect somebody who could give the kind of leadership that, that's described here in First Peter 5. So before we go to the biblical text, I want to do a little bit more of what I did last week, and that is take a few moments to think about the, the process with you. In the last week, I've been asked a couple of questions which have highlighted to me that we're not entirely clear how all this works. Um, There's still a bit of mystery about how an election of elders in a Presbyterian church actually works. The Kirk session of this church, I know, would want you to understand uh, an important process like this. And we want to be entirely transparent in all of our dealings. So bear with me for a second, and I'll try to clarify 
uh, a few things. What we're going to do is, is a, a little bit more of what we did last week, and I know you enjoyed very much, and that was flicking up some sections of the code. Um, a few people have been asking me where, where you can get your hands on a full copy. Um, I, I don't have time to deal with the full code, but um, we're going to look. The code, by the way, is, is a document that regulates the, the life and governance of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. So if we put up the first slide, uh, Peter, these, uh, these sections of the code have to do with elections of elders. The decision on when an election is to take place and the number of ruling elders to be chosen devolves normally to the Kirk session, but any member of the congregation may petition the session upon the subject and the decision of the session in these matters is subject to review. So the point there is that the session's responsible to think about when to elect elders and how many to elect. Um, you could have petitioned us. You probably didn't know that. But if you were getting fed up and thought it was time we had some new elders, you could have at least asked the question. Nobody did, uh, as far as I know. Um, but we, in the Kirk session, deemed that this was a, a good time for us to be looking to, to strengthen the body of elders in the church. So we approached the East Belfast Presbytery in autumn, and we asked permission to appoint up to 10 elders. Our sense is that we probably actually want to appoint round about six. Um, so that's really that part of the process uh, has uh, already been set in motion. Uh, the next slide, Peter. The minister shall explain to the congregation the duties and qualifications of ruling elders whose election is sought, and paragraphs 30 and 31 of the code shall be read. Last week, isn't this what we did? We did paragraphs 30 and 31. Last week and this week, I'm talking about the duties and qualifications of ruling elders. If, if you look at the little bundle you got, all voting members should leave today with um, a, a bundle of uh, nomination paper uh, and some extra materials. You'll notice at the back of that, there's a leaflet called Choosing New Elders, which is prepared by the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. It has those parts of the code that I read out last week included in it. So for those of you who were looking for a copy of that, you now have it, and I don't have to read it out again today. So that's good. Slide three there, Peter. The selection of those proposed to be called to the office of ruling elder in a congregation shall be made by one or other of the following methods. This is the bit I really wanted to highlight for you today. As the Kirk session shall determine... So there's two ways of electing elders. You probably didn't know that. Let me first of all show you the two options and then explain to you why uh, our Kirk session has decided on the method that it has. So the next slide, Peter. Option one is called selection by congregation. There's a bit of stuff there about voters lists and gathering in your votes, but this is the pertinent part, section B. The session shall examine the lists received, that is the list of votes, and the names which occur most frequently if the session approves and if those so proposed shall consent, shall form a list up to the number of ruling elders required. Should any decline to act, their places may be filled by those who come nearest on the proposals recorded up to the said number. No name shall be listed which has not received a minimum of one-third of the votes cast. 
So hold that um, somewhat in your mind. We'll go on to the next option. So that's the first one, selection by congregation. The second option slide, uh, next slide, Peter, is selection by Kirk Session. And it says that the Kirk Session, having considered the proposals received and having obtained the consent of those approved, shall list the names of those to be presented to the congregation. Okay, you're, you're probably more... Con- you didn't know there was anything to be confused about, and now you do, and you're confused. So this is going swimmingly. But bear with me for a second. We have decided upon election by Kirk Session. And as you can probably imagine, there's, there's room for debate about the merits and demerits of each of these models. But there's a very practical reason why election by Kirk Session has been used in recent years at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Peter, if you go to the last slide, slide number six. It's another chance to look at option one, selection by the congregation. And if you look carefully at the highlighted sentence at the bottom of that slide, you'll see that method one, selection by the congregation, requires that a person receive at least a third of the vote to be eligible to be an elder. Now, if we were a tiny congregation, a very, very static community where nobody really came or went and we'd all been looking at each other for 50 or 60 or 70 years, this would work swimmingly because we'd know each other well enough that the the natural new batch of leaders would get half the vote or 60% of the vote or 70 or 80. But in a church like this, where we've been thrown together really quite suddenly by God's grace over the last few years, this method would be likely to yield very few elders. And what I mean by that is very few people will get one-third of the vote. If a hundred of you return nomination forms, there'll be very few people who get 34 or more votes. So this method would not be very productive in a case like this. Notice another thing about this slide Uh, the other piece of bold text. It says there, if the session approves. So whether it's election by Kirk session or election by the congregation, the Kirk session still has a responsibility to be sure that it's comfortable with the candidates who have come forward with the names that have been proposed. It seems to me that that responsibility is a little bit more explicit in the second method, which is called election by Kirk Session. But it exists here also in the first method, election by congregation. Maybe this has all come as a bit of a surprise to you. Um, Bear with me one second. You, you maybe didn't realize that the congregation had any role at all in the election of our elders. And as I say, our Kirk session wouldn't be content with that. Uh, we wouldn't be happy uh, other than a, a fully transparent uh, process. I can't speak about the election of elders that happened prior to my time, but in the last 10 years, we've had two elders' elections. And I thought it would be helpful for you to know what happened in those two elders' elections which uh, 
took place under Method 2, election by Kirk Session. I want to tell you how that worked out in practice, 2005 and 2009. In each case, we took nominations from the congregation the way we're doing just now. In 2005, the six people who received the most votes and who were willing to stand were presented to the congregation as your new elders and were accepted by you. So selection by Kirk Session yielded exactly the same results as an election by congregation. 2005, that's what happened. In 2009, the Kirk Session chose to set aside one of the persons whom you had given a substantial amount of support to. And there was a reason for that. In the period just before this election, we had had to confront this person with a significant public sin. And we didn't believe that it was a good time for that person to be called into leadership. So in the last two elections, the Kirk Session has taken on board the nominations of the congregation almost entirely, with one exception. And when it decided to set aside one of the candidates, it was for this reason because they felt that the reputation of Jesus Christ in our community would be diminished by an appointment of that person to leadership at that time. I hope this, this explains a lot to you. I hope it explains a little bit about the process. If not, don't lose too much sleep over it. Go ahead and make your nominations as we've invited you to. But I hope it explains two, two things. I hope it shows you how important your nominations are. The people who are nominated will, by and large, be our new elders. It's a serious thing we're talking about here and working on. But I hope that what I've just described shows you also the seriousness with which the Kirk Session takes its responsibility and its role in this process. We, too, take very seriously the appointment of new leaders in the life of this congregation. Okay. First Peter, chapter 5. It's on page 1,220, if you put it away. Peter's not writing in the context of an election of elders. He's writing to people who already are elders, and we see that. He says, to the elders... Among you I appeal as a fellow elders, a fellow elder. So how does he want them to behave? Well, if you look at verse 2, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock under your care. Notice, first of all, his choice of image. This is crucial. He doesn't say, be managers, be strategizers, be members of a board of directors. No, he says, be shepherds. And it's little wonder, really, that for Jesus, the image of the leader as a shepherd is the one that's etched on his heart. Because this is the same Peter, don't forget, who spent time with Jesus. And and Emma used uh, from John chapter 10, uh, one of the words of Jesus, one of the sayings of Jesus, where he said, I am the good shepherd. Peter heard Jesus say that and he saw 
Jesus act out what that meant. What does it mean, Jesus, to be a good shepherd? Peter had seen how Jesus treated people. He'd been one of the 12 in Jesus' small group, in his special wee flock. Jesus attended and nurtured that group. Jesus had taught Peter and trusted him. He had corrected him. He'd forgiven him. Jesus had loved Peter to the end. And that, everything that he experienced under Jesus' leadership is what he has in mind when he talks about the elder as a shepherd. We're going to move quite quickly this morning. There's not too much here. But notice there's a pattern. Peter instructs the elders using three contrasts, three not this but that. He says, be shepherds, not because you must, but because you're willing, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Let's look at these for a couple of moments each. Elders shepherd God's people, not because they must, but because they're willing. This isn't a good job to coerce a person into or or to force a person into. Nobody should ever be manipulated to take up this role. It's a responsibility that a person needs to carry willingly. That doesn't mean, by the way, that our new elders won't approach this with, with some fear, some trepidation, some concerns about their their worthiness or their ability, they'll have to think hard about taking up a post like this. But underlying that uncertainty and, and that unease, they must finally have a strong sense that God is calling them to do this work, that he's going to equip them, he's going to help them to actually deliver it. Be shepherds of God's flock, not because you must but because you're willing. I want to just probe that a wee bit for you. And the question I want you to consider is, when you have your nomination paper before you and you're thinking of writing somebody's name on it, ask yourself the question, how willing is that person to make eldership in Jesus Christ a primary part of their calling? And what I mean by that is that there are loads of committed Christian people and there are many in a community like this. But are they willing to make this thing, this body, their primary sphere of of service? If not, then, then maybe this isn't the right thing for them. Are they willing to throw themselves into this particular task, serving Jesus Christ by leading and discipling a group of people in this church? Elders are to be shepherds in the church, not because they must, but because they're willing. You'll find Peter's second not but there at the end of verse 2. Elders shepherds God's people, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, this is as good a time as any to let the cat out of the bag. 
There's not a whole lot of money in this. Okay? You know, check with the guys who are currently elders. Um, you'll not be changing the car. There'll not be a, a, a remortgage upwards. There, there's, there's, there's no money in this. Shall we just move on? Is that, is that bit of the text uh, not for us? Well, if you look carefully at what Peter says and, and look at how some other translations pick it up, that translation in the NIV, not greedy for money, is narrower than it needs to be. The message, for example, reads, not calculating what he can get out of it. Hmm. That's taking a narrow definition and broadening it out a wee bit, I think. Is it possible to enter church leadership calculating what you can get out of it? When I read this passage, I'm reminded of one of the lectures I had in my theology degree when I was at Regent College in Vancouver. Mark Davis, the guy who was teaching us pastoral theology, towards the end of, I think, the introductory lecture, he said to us, hands up anybody who's here who's training to be a minister for the desire, uh, because they have a desire for, for prestige and honor. Nobody put their hand up. He said, right. If that's the level of honesty that we're starting with in this class, I'll not come back next week until you're ready to confront some of the realities of your heart. Do you think it's possible we end up in in leadership because we like the idea of being at the front, being seen, Think that's at least possible? Of course it is. Not calculating what we can get out of it. Steer clear of anybody who evidently has that spirit. It might be power that they want. It might be that they're dying to get into Kirk session to sort it out. All those things that are wrong with it at the moment, if only they got in there and got their hand on the steering wheel, they'd be able to sort it out. They'd be able to make it right, by which they mean, of course, the way they want it to be. One of the things I love about the Bible, and I tell you this often, it's not naive about human nature. It recognizes many of these dynamics that are at play in our hearts. And Peter says, he warns us against would-be elders who calculate what they can get out of it. He encourages instead that we look to people who are eager to serve. I've already talked about how the shepherd image comes to Peter because he hung out with Jesus. Where do you think the service one comes from? He's witnessed the greatest life of service ever lived. He's witnessed when God comes and he he lives a peasant life. He's witnessed the homelessness of the one who owns it all. 
He, he's been in an upper room where the disciples, they, they know, every one of them in the room knows that before you have a meal together, it's somebody's job to wash everybody's feet, to get ready for the meal. But everybody's going, well, I'm not doing it. If he's not, well, he can do it. I'm not doing it. And it's, it's, it's God Almighty who stoops down and washes the muck of the day off his disciples' feet. Not looking for what they can get out of it, but eager to serve. Folks, can I tell you about our existing elders? They don't get much out of it. Here's what they get. Get a big workload. And they get to stick their head above the parapet and be shot down any time they do something that people don't like. That's what you get. And they're eager to serve. Because of the demographics of this church, a good part of our Kirk session now are young men in the family years who are in the busiest parts of their careers and they're taking on all of this load too. And they do it with a heart and a half because they love the Lord and they love you. They're eager to serve. And whenever you're nominating somebody this week or next week, add to their ranks people just like them. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Number three, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So this is our third not but. Folks, it's possible, this isn't very different from what I said a moment ago, it's possible to want to be in church leadership so that you can lord it over people. There, there's a, an image of a Kirk session which is kind of like the policing body of the church. These are the guys who make sure that we manage to keep everybody in line. Or the watchdogs, the ones who guard the perimeter of the church to make sure the wrong type of people don't somehow sneak in. Rather than serving, it's all about control. Elders ought not to lord it over those entrusted to them. Folks, we all know that the best kind of leadership finally is the leadership that is, is by example. We don't get excited about following rules or ideas or teaching so much as we get excited by following example. And, and that's a huge challenge to, to anybody like me or any of our existing elders because what it boils down to is this. If people follow my example, will they grow in Jesus Christ? I think that's the final irreducible vision of Christian leadership. If a person walks along beside me, do they become more like Jesus and do they come closer to Jesus? If they don't, I'm not sure how I can say I'm a Christian leader. 
Folks, when you're making your nominations, when you have that form in front of you, ask yourself the question, is this person evidently growing in likeness to Jesus Christ? Is the spirit of Jesus in them? Does he radiate from them? If I, if I spent time in their company, if I hung out with them, would I be drawn closer to Jesus as a result? If, if you've no sense of that, why would you elect them a, an elder in the church? So there we have it, folks. More teaching from God's word to help us consider what kind of person we ought to nominate for leadership in the church. We're not looking for somebody who, who is in the leadership to see what they can get out of it so that they can grab control. We're looking for a willing servant whose life inspires us to follow Jesus. Those are the kinds of people we nominate to be our new elders. Can I ask you to grab that bundle of nomination papers that you received? I hope you did get one. This is me closing. If you didn't get one, please lift one on your way out. I'm going to start at the back of the bundle so you'll see the, the last thing stapled there is the little leaflet choosing new elders. It's not our own production, but it's from the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. I think it's pretty good. It deals with one of the passages we read last week, but didn't really expound very much, and that's 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think if you'd heard last Sunday's sermon and what we've just thought about today and reread 1 Timothy 3, you'd have a good deal of the biblical uh, teaching about eldership at your fingertips. As I say, it's got the bonus of a couple of paragraphs from the code, so it's all there, everything you could ask for. If you come forward in the bundle you'll see a list. That's a list of people who are eligible in this election. You'll notice that the names of all our existing elders have been removed from that because there's no point in electing an existing elder. So um, take a look at that. And finally, on the front page, you'll see the, the actual nomination paper itself. You'll see that the Kirk Session is inviting you to nominate up to but no more than six people. This is important. The the way we're going to work this, we're going to count every nomination that's cast. I've already told you the utmost seriousness with which the, the Kirk Session takes those nominations. So here's what we must do, I think, is make sure that every one of those nominations is something that God has laid on our heart. And what I mean by that is If you're here this morning and you're a voting member and you look at the list and you can only think of two people after you've heard of the teaching, you've thought about this and prayed, there are only two people who come to your mind who who seem to you to be the right kind of people for eldership. That's perfect. Write down two names. Do not, in that case, write four names. Do you understand that? You're entitled to use between one and six nominations, but you're under no obligation to fill the six. We'd prefer it if you just put the names of the people that you can really stand over and really say, yes, God has guided me. He's given me a conviction that this person could make a good elder in the church. 
It's really important that you understand that, and I do, do want to stress that. If you want anything that I've talked about here the last couple of weeks and anything you put on your page to actually count, and I'm sure you do, then you need to put the nomination forms in the, the box out there in the vestibule by next Sunday evening. Okay? We're going to close the, the polling or the nominations at 8 o'clock next Sunday evening. If you want to be a part of this process, you need to have your signed nomination form in there by 8 o'clock on Sunday evening. Thank you for listening. That was longer, longer than it needed to be, maybe, but there's some stuff there I wanted to explain to you. Let me pray one last time for God's wisdom and guidance.